Welcome to the Doodle Kisses podcast, an extension of doodlekisses.com. I'm your host, Adina Pearson. Doodlekisses.com is the social network for Labradoodle and Golden Doodle owners, wannabe owners, and the Doodle Curious. The goal of this podcast is to provide education, entertainment, and connect with our Doodle Kisses members on the topic of Labradoodles, Golden Doodles, and dogs in general. Today, I'm bringing you my interview with Stacy LaPointe, the creator of Fresh is Best. Fresh is Best is a company that produces fresh, raw, and freeze-dried raw food and treats for dogs. Fresh is Best seems to be doing an excellent job with regard to quality, and there is a passion behind what they produce. Before we get into this episode, I want to address the elephant in the room. We may have guests from time to time whose opinions you might not agree with in some way or another. The goal of this podcast isn't necessarily to promote one way of doing things. I may have my soapbox on certain dog or doodle issues, and some philosophies are non-negotiable to me. But food is very personal, it's sensitive, and potentially it's a controversial topic both how we feed ourselves and how we choose to feed our pets. I know that when it comes to feeding raw, there are people who vehemently believe you should and those who vehemently believe you shouldn't. I didn't invite Stacy here to promote raw feeding or to speak against it either. I think that's a personal choice. Our philosophy on Doodle Kisses has been that there are good and healthy options for kibble and raw feeding is not necessarily medicine or a cure for any condition. At the same time, I understand that people have their reasons for choosing the way they want to feed their dogs, whether or not I agree with it or anyone else agrees with it. My point in having Stacy here is because I like to hear people's stories. I like to hear how they grew up with dogs and how they were inspired to create something for dogs or about dogs. I think it's fun to learn from other people and their stories. So I invite you to listen to this conversation with a dog lover who has put her passion to creating a product that she is proud of. I want you to listen to this with that kind of mindset rather than what you think people should and should not feed. Okay, so let's hear this episode. Hi, Stacey. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Okay, so I'm curious. Tell me about your history with dogs. Did you have dogs growing up? I had, unfortunately, bad experiences where my parents weren't the ideal pet owners. They had twice in my life adopted dogs that then became a burden to them, and then they ended up rehoming them, and it was devastating for me. And I promised myself when I became an adult that I would never abandon an animal. So it kind of became a conviction of mine based on my parents not, not being very committed. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've, I, that was my family as well. <laughs> um, although I just learned that dogs are outside dogs from that until later in life. Oh. <laughs> so when did you get your first dog? I adopted my first dog uh, when I graduated from college. It was my college graduation gift to myself. I went to the Humane Society and found her, and she was the reason I started this company. She's my, um, you know, my, the muse of of fresh is best and uh so it was in 95 i got her she was a german shepherd mix from the wisconsin humane society oh how fun what a great graduation gift for yourself 
Yes, I was very excited to come upon some money uh, as gifts, and I knew exactly what I was going to do. I had um, basically I was in the process of buying a home as well, so I knew that I could have a dog. So it was all kind of coming together for me to finally adopt. Was she? What was her name? Her name was Jade. And she was about 10 months, they thought, when I adopted her. Uh-huh. And was she kind of the dog you expected, or was she one of those dogs that teaches you so much, but you fall in love with them anyway? She was amazing from the start. She, you know, to this day, you know, I have other dogs, and I love my dogs dearly, but as far as intelligence and connectedness, uh, they that no nobody has no other dog has compared she you know just being a german shepherd she, you know genetically they are very connected uh to their mass to their owners and so she was extremely loyal she was the kind of dog that if i was walking her off leash and a squirrel ran by and she started to run if i said her name she would stop and look at me and make sure that she was doing what i wanted and i never had to train her to do that i did end up taking her to obedience to get her to stop doing you know some house behaviors like um you know tearing things up or getting into garbage and things like that um a little bit of barking but when it came to her connection to me she was just always eye contact always by my side always concerned where I was. She would never get too far ahead of me, always wait for me on trails. Um, so I, it, I just haven't had that experience since. She was awesome. What a great first dog. It sounds like that's the German Shepherd side from what I hear about German Shepherds. I think so. Yeah. So do you have any dogs now? Yes. So my two dogs now are, um, both of them are actually unclaimed strays from the municipal shelter here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So one of them probably would have been adopted, but the the other one, my small dog, Minnow, I've had her, she's completely a mix. Like you really can't tell what she is. And I haven't done a DNA on her, but she's about 20 pounds and she looks like she has some min pin in her, but she has the floppy ears and her body's a little larger. She's very athletic looking, but small and um, high strung, but very affectionate and sweet. She was due to be euthanized actually. And I have a friend that works at the shelter and she had been passed up um, or my friend told me that she had been passed up for the Humane Society's adoption program because she was aggressive in her cage when they would walk by. She would viciously um, express her displeasure with people walking past. But the staff at the shelter knew that um, when they would open the cage to clean that she became a happy puppy. And it was really just uh because of the bars separating her that she was very stressed out. And, um, so my friend took her home. She couldn't stand to let it happen the next day. And my friend uh, who works there to this day, and I've had Minnow for almost eight years now, she um, has children, cats, dogs in her home. And she kept Minnow for two weeks and really vetted her. And she said, this dog is amazing. And she posted her picture on Facebook. And I wrote to her right away and said, I have you know, kids and cats and I want a, you know, a dog that's going to fit in. And, and I was looking for a dog, a new dog at the time. And I wanted it to be one, you know, that was rescued. And uh, then, and so I met her at the shelter and I, I took her home that day. She was fantastic and just adorable. Never looked back, love her dearly, but I didn't know the story until I went to meet her. I didn't know that she literally was going to be euthanized the next day. So, um, 
her story is extra special. Um, my other guy, he's a 70-pound American Staffordshire Terrier. He's a blue nose pit. He is your typical Mack truck pit bull, and he is the biggest teddy bear, the biggest lover, the sweetest guy. My little 20-pound minnow runs him in circles. She holds <laughs> him. She doesn't let him. She steals things from him. He's so gentle. Um, he was uh, picked up by the shelter, um, brought in, not neutered, a little bit skinny, filthy. Nobody claimed him. And um, again, I basically decided to look for a partner for her and adopt him. Um, she had separation anxiety really bad. And um, I couldn't leave her alone at all. I had to take her everywhere and other uh, either that or have pet sitters and things like that. And I wanted to be able to leave her at home and, and he made all the difference. So he made it possible for her. So he is her rock and she is in charge, if that makes any sense. And they are a pair. They love each other. Yeah. They're, they're adorable together. Oh, how beautiful. <laughs> I really yeah. think pit bulls are gorgeous. I love seeing them, but they're still a, maybe 50% of me that is scared of them unless I know the owner. Um, they still intimidate me. Yeah, I mean, they're all muscle. And it's true that, you know, some breeds look intimidating. And they've kind of all the intimidating breeds have gone the gamut with the media giving them attention on being vicious. So it became the pit bull's turn in the recent, you know, decades. But I remember when I was growing up, um, Dobermans and German Shepherds and Rottweilers were the ones to fear. And then the pit bulls kind of came on the scene, I think, just because of the whole uh, underground fighting, mm -hmm. uh, pit bull fighting uh, like racket, whatever that is, that kind of developed in the underbelly of our country, um, that really gave them kind of a bad rep. And, and it is, it is, you know, really mostly uh, how you raise a dog. And like I said, he, Blue is, he's capable of literally taking down a bull. I believe he could do it, but he'd be the last one to do it. He'd probably let a stranger in the house. Whereas Minnow, my little 20 pounder, who, who knows what breed she is, she would take the calf off a UPS man if she could catch him if he tried to come, you know, into our house. Like, she would make a grown man run. So it's it's odd that, you know, we have these perceptions based on, you know, it's cultural, it's media, it's everything. Um, and then, of course, you know, you look at a solid muscular dog like that and you just think about what they could do. But it, they may actually have not have it in them mentally or psychologically to do to do any damage. So. Right, right. They have that potential, but not necessarily and depends on their breeding and where they came from. And that's true with Labradoodles and Golden, to Golden Doodles, too. They have sort of like the perfect family dog out of the box reputation. But the reality is they, depending on where they come from and their breeding, they could be wild and crazy kangaroos or, you know, they do end up in rescue, too. Uh, from aggression or other, you know, food resource guarding or being too much to handle when somebody has a family and they get this puppy that they think is a teddy bear that doesn't do anything but look cute. <laughs> so then, mm -hmm. so they end up in rescue as well. Um, even though the parent breeds and the starting, you know, poodles, labs, golden retrievers, and some of the higher generation dogs, you know, they're generally amiable dogs. Yeah, I, I mean, generally speaking, yes. I would say the only thing I, um, I think some of those breeds that, you know, they just look so friendly and sweet, um, part of it is, is socialization. You know, if they just aren't, let's say they're not raised around young children, well, any dog can fear young children and end up fear biting. You know, it doesn't even matter the breed. Right. But, um, yeah, I don't have a lot of experience with um, purebred dogs at all. Yeah, and that's okay. I think 
shelter dogs are awesome and you can get so many interesting combinations and interesting looking dogs and, and help a dog in need as well, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. We probably all agree that doodles are the cutest dogs out there. There aren't enough opportunities to look at doodles, right? Now, raise your hand if you've ever been driving and you spot a doodle and you slow your car down. I've done that. And I've waited for the dog and owner to catch up and walk by. And I've waved my arm out the window to ask about their dog. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably pretty doodle crazy like me. If so, you need to get your hands on our 2020 doodle wall calendars. That's right, calendars, plural, because we each year we make three to four different kinds. We've got an all labradoodle calendar, an all golden doodle calendar, and an oh my doodle calendar, each with one gorgeous doodle photo every month. We also have a lots of doodle calendar that has four photos on each page. You can buy one for your house, your office, for family members who obviously adore your doodle, and for your doodle's groomer. Find our calendars at cafepress.com slash doodlekisses. The link will be in the show notes. Don't start 2020 without your doodle kisses calendar. Okay, so let's go back to Jade. You said she was the inspiration for Fresh is Best. And I want to just give a little background to our listeners. The reason I reached out to Stacy from Fresh is Best is because on doodlekisses.com, we have a group called the Food Group, and we have some really knowledgeable people in that group. Um, and there are lists of recommended foods and recommended treats. And the reason for foods being on those lists is one, they come from USA sources. They're not sourced out of the country and the ingredients are quality ingredients. And so that's why I reached out to Stacy because Fresh is Best is, is on those lists. So I want to hear about how Jade inspired you to create um, your brand. Okay. Um, yeah, the story goes back almost 20 years now. Um, she was diagnosed with Addison's disease and she was about six when that happened. Um, it came on acutely and luckily the veterinarian that I took her to uh, diagnosed it properly. It had been misdiagnosed so much uh, because it mimicked other things, but he discovered it and was able to get her the um, hormone replacement that she needed to survive. And um, so it coincided right at the same time as I got my first uh, home computer with dial-up internet. Can you imagine? I, it was literally, you're sitting there listening, waiting for it to connect. But anyway, it was so exciting for me to have that computer. And then when she was diagnosed with the disease, I was able to start doing some research. And in my research about Addison's and what people do with dogs with Addison's and kind of about the disease, I, stu I stumbled on back in the day, there was the email list serve groups like Yahoo lists mm -hmm. um, or Yahoo groups. And uh, so I joined a group of uh, people who, whose dogs had Addison's disease and they became, we, we became friends. We became almost family with our, it was almost like our kids had this disease and um, some of them had been making their own pet food. And then I started doing research on pet food and I discovered what was really in pet food. A lot of pet food is not very good. And especially back then, there wasn't a lot of options for um, quality ingredients. A lot of it was very, um, you know, waste ingredients from the human food 
mainstream and some of the worst of the worst. And when I discovered that, I was like, oh, wow, I really want to make her own food so or make my own food for her. So I started, um, I found a couple of books. One in particular was uh, uh, The Ultimate Diet by Timothy Schultz. And uh, she's Canadian, raises Newfoundlands. Um, and she wrote a book, a very simple book on how to make pet food. Now, the specific uh, kind of niche that I was interested in was raw food because um, I was looking at you know, the species appropriate diet, what a dog would eat in the wild, um, being genetically almost identical to the gray wolf. Um, and it just made a lot of sense to me. So I kind of went down that path and then um, started making her food. And then uh, it kind of snowballed because the results were pretty astonishing. And friends and family wanted the food for their pets. And I started doing a lot of uh, batches in my home and it got a little out of control where I was like, I could do this 24 hours a day. I'd have to quit my job, you know, and at that time I was like, wow, maybe there is a, an opportunity to get this, you know, homemade food out to animals, uh, and help them potentially do better. And, uh, I guess to make a long story short, I ended up renting space in a, in a human food factory, basically, and making my recipes and getting them out there uh, frozen on consignment in pet supply stores in the area, just buying small chest freezers and putting it out there. And it just kept growing. Um, there was a, a brief moment before I actually decided to put a label on the product and jump through the hoops to go make sure it met regulations and everything. And that was should I be a distributor for another brand or should I create my own brand? And the only brand that I could find was Steve's Real Food out on the Pacific Northwest Coast. Um, Steve Brown, formula, he, his story is somewhat similar, and he formulated a diet um, that was raw frozen. And, um, you know, he since, I believe, has still has his own food, but it's, it's different now. And um, I thought about distributing that brand, and I thought, well, you know what? It's just slightly different enough that I want to do my own based on the results that I was seeing with um, Jade and other people's pets. So um, that's what happened, and I just decided to, to do it, and I had the help of my, um, my business partner uh, at the time, and currently he helped as well. So the two of us really kind of just grew the business organically um, from very small, literally from my kitchen, into now, you know, an actual facility. Uh, 19 years later, it'll be 20 years in March, so that we've been producing uh, this this food. And so it's, I love the product. I, you know, I see the results not only in my pets, but hear about it all the time. People call and say, oh my gosh, this has saved my pet's life, you know. And part of that is, it's just human quality ingredients. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, it's it's based on solid nutrition. It's not rocket science. I mean, it's kind of how you feed yourself. You go to the grocery store, you buy whole foods, healthy, fresh quality ingredients, minimally processed, you know, grind them up, mix them together. And we added the freeze drying step to make it a little more uh, convenient for people. So you don't have to just do frozen. It used to just be frozen, but we did move into freeze drying because it just made sense to add that extra bit of convenience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's it. That's how it all started so many years ago. Had you, were you in college or prior, were you in a business major? Did you have business on your mind at any point? 
Um, not really. I would consider myself entrepreneurial mm -hmm. just by nature. Um, I actually went to uh, art school and got a degree in fine art. And I've always been an animal lover and a, a researcher, basically. I really enjoy researching my own interests. I probably would have been a good candidate for being homeschooled as a child, but I followed the regular curriculum like everyone else. And I um, decided, I think because my dad was an entrepreneur, he I'd seen him, he's passed away now, but I did see him over my um, growing up start small businesses. And he did things that uh, he always worked for himself for the most part. And I think that that just kind of gave me the inspiration to, to not fear failing, mm -hmm. that if you really believe in something and you see good results with it, that, you know, you can potentially make a business out of it. And I, I just really believed in it. I couldn't deny the results and the, I guess, really kind of the quality of life that it brought to so many animals that it, that part was so exciting to me that I just kept going with it. Um, you know, it's not easy. Manufacturing is definitely not easy and it's, um, you know, got its ups and downs uh, versus just, you know, buying and selling a product. You're actually making it. You've got government regulations um, to follow. You've got a lot of factors involved with um, making sure the food is uh, quality, quality and, um, you know, following those uh, guidelines is all consuming every day. And, but I enjoy it every single day. I enjoy what I do. Um, regardless of the stresses involved, it's definitely my choice. Like I do, I would, can't see myself doing anything else. So really it's my life's purpose, I believe, but, um, I don't, I couldn't figure that out at 19 years old when I chose art school, yeah. you know, that just happened to be what I did to grow up in a way. Um, but business wise, this is my calling. Oh, I love it. I love entrepreneurial stories when someone has a passion and, and believes in something that they're created. Oh, just gives me like goosebumps. <laughs> What's the most popular um, food that you're selling right now? And what's the most popular treat if there is a top seller? Yes, there's definitely top sellers in both categories. Um, the top seller in food is chicken, our chicken dog food and chicken cat food. It could be based on the price point because in America, we eat a lot of chicken. And so, you know, there's, a, there's an abundance of it, whereas our top selling treat is duck hearts. And you can imagine one duck only has one heart. And then at the same time, we're only eating so much duck in the United States. It's not as popular as chicken. So we can only produce so many duck hearts and those are extremely popular. We have in the past run out where we literally just can't get them. Now we're currently in that position with turkey hearts. Um, we cannot get turkey hearts right now. It's before Thanksgiving, um, other companies might be buying them up for different products. So there is a limited amount of certain commodities. Um, but I would say the chicken, dog, and cat food and the duck heart bites, we also sell an awful lot of our chicken breast tenders in our freeze-dried treat line. Um, dogs and cats alike really love freeze-dried meat. They love the meat treats, which are designed for both dogs and cats. And then we have separate recipes for dog food and cat food. Um, we have the beef, duck, and turkey, which, you know, are a little higher priced just based on the commodity. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not as uh, prevalent as chicken. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious about your freeze-dried treats. Um, being that they're freeze-dried, can you open them up and then sit them on the counter, or do they have to be refrigerated since they are raw? They do not have to be refrigerated. So uh, the drying process removes really you know, all the moisture. I mean, it is dry. So 
when you open the bag, you're allowing oxygen in the bag, and that's really the worst. Uh, that's what degrades the product over time. So you, you can leave it on your counter. It doesn't have to be refrigerated, but once you put air in the bag, the clock starts ticking with regard to the fat. So the fat in the product will go rancid due to oxidation over time, just like if you open a bag of potato chips or granola or you know anything like that that has oil in it, it's going to go rancid over time. So, um, you know, we say use it up in a couple of weeks once you open the bag, but you can refrigerate it or freeze it. And if you do keep the fat cold, it has nothing to do with moisture. Um, the, it will slow the oxidation process down. So you're actually not, you, you can keep it fresher longer if you keep it cold. Um, but it's not necessary um, to keep it from spoiling. There isn't spoilage mm -hmm. fears uh, involved as if it was like a, a deli meat that's moist and has spoilage organisms that can take over. Right. Uh, so it's really, you're, you're racing the clock just due to oxygen. Okay, that makes sense. Um, curious mm -hmm. about government regulations and if they are different when it comes to raw food and the treats and food that you produce versus a kibble. Are there differences in in the regulations there or I guess there's a zero tolerance for um, pathogen adulteration in pet food in general according to the FDA and so they don't want to see any bacteria or any you know adulterant whatsoever in any product it should be you know safe to consume and so you know Regular dog food or cat food companies that cook, whether they're canned or kibble, they cook at very high temperatures. They don't have to worry about, that's why they don't have to buy human edible product. Mm -hmm. I mean, they can buy uh, batches of product that are actually starting to spoil or rot because they're able to cook it and kill off anything that is undesirable in there. Um, whereas we're, we have to buy really quality human edible ingredients and we have to make sure we're mitigating and controlling any uh, opportunity for adulteration to occur. So our, I would say that um, are the regulations any different? No, but are our processes different in order to make sure we're putting out safe product? Yes. That makes sense. I think I heard, and you can correct me if you know the answer to this, that if a kibble company, let's say, if they find salmonella in the product, that they don't necessarily have to recall it, but they can, oh, I can't remember exactly, I wish I had thought of this earlier, but that there's some kind of like looseness there. No, I don't believe that that's true. Okay. I believe that if a company is testing their product and they find salmonella in it, uh, the pathogenic strain of salmonella, then they're obligated to recall that product. They, uh, by law, you cannot knowingly sell a product with a bacteria in mm -hmm. it. So, um, I mean, that's my knowledge of it. I couldn't really speak on behalf of kibble companies and um, what they're what they're doing or you know, there's the potential that they've been treated differently by the regulatory bodies just based on the fact that their processes are different. But, you know, I mean, the law says that you cannot sell an, 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 a known adulterated product. Okay. Is there anything that I've not asked you that you wish I would have asked you? I can't really think of anything. I mean, I just think that, um, you know, hopefully dog lovers would take a look and see what Fresh is Best is all about. Great. Thank you so much, Stacy. I know you're super busy and I appreciate you giving us some time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast. If you have any ideas or recommendations for future topics or guests, 
send me an email at admin at doodlekisses.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at doodlekisses.com. Also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts so you can have every episode ready to listen to as soon as it comes out. The show notes will link you to our GoFundMe page, as well as links to some of the things we discussed in today's episode. Talk to you next time on the next episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast.